Hello and welcome to Thought Starters, the podcast where we hear from culture's brightest thinkers and creatives to explore what inspires and delights them, all brought to you from White City Place. I've been a writer and editor for about a decade now, and writing can seem easy, but it's famously incredibly difficult. So I am fascinated by how other people approach the excitement or the horror of a blank page. Today's episode explores the art of writing editorial in an ever-changing media landscape. Stu is one of my favourite pop culture writers. His pithy observations about anything from bad telly to aubergines often have me and people I know cackling out loud at his articles, something that is actually quite rare these days. Alongside being very funny and astute, he also writes so prolifically that it seems like he must do it in his sleep. But, as we discussed, the life of a freelance writer can have its challenges. He started by telling me about a particularly memorable day in his journalism career. I was uh, at my parents' house uh, 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 during the festive season and um, I got an email from someone at a newspaper. I can't go into more specifics than that. Saying, hi, um, uh, I've just seen that Justin Bieber's thinking about retiring from music. Do you think he could do 700 words on what he would do if he wasn't a musician? Could you get it to me this morning? And it was Christmas morning. <laughs> it was Christmas morning. I was literally opening presents with my parents. Many of us, admittedly, Guardian readers, um, know of your work and mm. love your work. Um, but you've been writing and blogging prolifically. I was wondering if we could just go back to the very beginning, mm. to when you were maybe a teenager, and when, what were the kind of steps that you took to kind of go into the world of being paid to write words, essentially? How did that happen? Um, quite uh, circuitously. Um, it was initially, like, I... I had all my hats when I was doing my GCSEs. I had all my hats in kind of business studies. And I had a teacher who I hated. His name was Mr. Rob Robinson or Mr. Robertson. And he was just a really angry business studies teacher. And he had like spiky white hair and he was just furious. And um, I remember once our lesson was... Um, uh, held up because something went wrong and he got so angry he went down to shout at the headmaster and our class was on top of the headmasters so we could hear it all and I was just thinking this is like I, I don't know if this is how business is but I don't really necessarily want to be in it so I kind of had an epiphany I was like well I'm going to do media studies Ooh. which is just as nebulous <laughs> as business studies and then from there, I kind of I did a, uh, a business study, a media studies course, realised I like writing the best, um, went to university and did screenwriting, oh. a screenwriting degree. Where was that? Uh, Bournemouth. Lovely. Which is like, no one's ever gone to Hollywood, like clutching their diploma, being like, I have a qualification, please let me write Transformers 4. <laughs> I've got a qualification. Um, so that kind of didn't really come to anything. And then I just started to blog just so I could do some writing. What year roughly that was, was this? That was 
2000, I started in 2005. Okay, so in 2005, that was when blogging was... Yeah. It was huge. Yeah, everyone was blogging. The, yeah. The, and this is how I got into writing for The Guardian, because they ran a... The week, I think it was Weekend Magazine, ran a list of like the 50 best blogs in the world or something. <laughs> and the one I wrote was number 48. In the world. In the world. And I know like subsequently, because I've had to put these sort of stupid features together, when you start, you've got the 10 that you like and then just you're pulling from <laughs> anywhere. So by the time they got down to me, it was just like, I don't know if they'd just written blog into Google and mine came up. <laughs> but as soon as that happened, I was just emailing people at Guardian and like, right, can I have a job then? Can, can I write for you? Is, you I see you've you taken a I shine just, to yeah. me. <laughs> and it kind of, it worked in the end. But it was like, it was a lot of emailing different, the like uh, very opportunistically. Um, the TV editor for The Guardian at the time I was... Uh, Writing was off sick because he uh, he had uh, it was a brain injury. It was quite serious, but the guy who took over was just kind of thrown into it at the last minute. And I think he got my pitch on his first or second day where he was just he didn't know what he was doing. And I've really like <laughs> like mold just exposed a weakness and dug myself in as far as hard as I can. <laughs> Do you remember what it was you were blogging and on what was it? WordPress? What yeah, it was WordPress. Um, it was uh, a, a blog called Heckler Spray, which was yes. celebrity news, uh, kind of celebrity news, which sounds awful now because I think it was it was very of its time in the mid the mid noughties. It wasn't like a sort of Peri was it Paris Hilton? It was no style? no it wasn't because I I always got the feeling that Paris Hilton cared about his subject matter. And to be honest, I just wanted to write what was popular. I enjoyed being rude about people, mm. but I just didn't I, I once had uh, a conversation with someone who was like deeply invested in what Jessica Simpson was actually doing with her life, and I and I couldn't understand why. <laughs> and that's kind of the re that's kind of the point. I was like, oh, maybe this isn't. Maybe I should stop doing this because it's empty and yeah. yeah. But that's for years when you spent. Um, Live blogging, for example, at the X Factor, <laughs> which is yeah, years. yeah, literally, yeah, literally every weekend for six years or something. But it takes someone who finds it compelling but also absurd to write about it in the way it deserves to be written about because it's there's it, it, it's there's a very different thing between writing about someone and being offensive about them as a person mm -hmm. or as a creative or just kind of sending up the the process of maybe reality TV as a whole and yeah. kind of commenting yeah. on on just how how kind of bonkers the whole thing mm. is, which is it's it's different. And so back in the beginning, when you were going to when you were at the Guardian, what were they kind of asking you to write about? And how old were you, were you fresh out of your diploma? No, no, no. I was I was twenty eight, I think. So I'd been I started it my blog in 2005 oh i see and then by 2009 i was 
sick of it and I wanted to like earn money because <laughs> it, it wasn't really I was doing it full time and not earning very much money the blog yeah um and so yeah they were I was just doing tv uh reviews yes and stuff very early on do you remember what you were reviewing the very first thing i wrote for the guardian was a review of a program called i think it was famous and homeless or celebrity homeless or something where they just got a bunch of celebrities and made them pretend to be homeless. Oh yeah, that so rings th- a bell. So they could be like, "Oh, it's bad, isn't it?" Oh god. <laughs> Being homeless, who knew? <laughs> and it <laughs> And oh, I god. remember I remember I wrote it in the style of my blog and which was a bit more sort of informal, I, I suppose. Yeah. And it going back coming back to me and be like, "You don't have to call the readers idiots." <laughs> you don't have to literally call them idiots for watching this. So I've learned. It's been it's been a very good learning process, going from writing purely for an online thing to writing for a publication with a reputation yes. that it needs to uphold. And so that process with an editor or a team, I suppose, mm. are you are you reined in? Frequently or sometimes, kind of... not really. I kind of I know the rules a bit better now. But the um, when I started doing the X Factor blog, my the TV editor at the time, Vicky Frost, literally said, not with the live blog actually because it's different. If I was writing about X Factor, she said, "You say whatever you want, and we we'll pull you back if we know like you're you're approaching the things." Uh, but with a live blog, you can't do that because you're you're typing it directly into sort of the the internet, and you press enter, and it's on the internet. With and there's no sort of um, I think there is now. If you do a live blog now, they have a team of people who are reading what you yeah right, and they can pull it off. But back then, it was just I was sitting at home with a laptop writing anything. And I think I made a joke about happy slapping once, and I got a text during an ad break being like. No, go back and delete that. You can't. Oh God! Yeah, remember happy slapping? Yes, yes. That was a weird, a very weird yeah. time. Um, That's a weird thing to be nostalgic about, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> but I spoke. I, I read in an interview um, that the Guardian once asked you to have an X Factor star around your house to live blog with you. Yeah, is that true? Yeah, uh, Wagner. Wagner. The, how how did that how was that a good idea or how it did was that come it out? was a bad idea and also I had just split up with uh, at the time my fiance and I'd moved into basically a basement in a a horrible um, little flat in um, Forest Hill and it was like I couldn't invite Wagner he would have had to come to my bedroom in a basement. <laughs> And so we ended up doing it by text, which was bizarre because <laughs> he was watching it and writing these long. I mean, I don't think he'd be upset if I said incomprehensible, uh, massive, like multi-paragraph text message. And every now and again, I'd have to stop writing, check my phone, email a text message, his text message to myself, copy the email and put it into the live blog. <laughs> And it'd be like 20 minutes had passed since the thing that happened. <laughs> it was weird. 
Very strange. Yeah. Really it sounds strange. like a lot of your career has been quite odd in terms of in terms of I think for writers there's a kind of path that you follow and and writing I mean it's, it can be quite serious or writing sort of long form pieces I know that you have done that as well mm. but yours has been sort of doing lots of kind of small bits and bobs how do you sum up like your work as a journalist in the last sort of decade it's really difficult my wife was I don't know why she got really morbid the other day and she was like you need to start thinking about your legacy (laughs) what are you talking about like you said the most recent thing I wrote was a list of aubergine recipes yes which is (laughs) I don't think that necessarily needs to be preserved in history um, but also you've got, I mean, I, I don't know how I could possibly begin counting the amount of articles that you've written online. I mean, it's probably oh, it's, it's it's thousands, thousands and thousands, and thousands yeah. And which is such a strange, your internet footprint is so huge mm. and wild and strange and about, yeah, it's right, your legacy is that, but maybe that's a legacy in itself and that's fine. I don't know. I kind of, I like how sort of day-to-day is and every like you never know what's going to be asked of you and or like what you pitch and so it can be sort of yeah one day I could be writing aubergine recipes I've just done a really good one for limes by the way that's not been published yet but (laughs) hold on to your hats um uh and sometimes like it'll be a first person piece or like a more serious piece or I'll be doing an interview and I really like having a broad I think if I did one thing and only one thing I would get very very bored mm. but at the same time maybe I it would be better if I'd concentrated on one thing and had that had just been known for that but in a way you have surely yeah. well I, you're I think I mean, I've told people this last week, friends of mine, that I'm going to speak to you and because mm. everyone everyone I spoke to knows your work and loves your work and that is what you're known for. Oh. Because you're you're nice. you're the you're the very funny person on The Guardian. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's the nice thing to be. <laughs> is that known enough? For. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. And for writing books too, obviously, but I think yes, yeah. in terms of the day-to-day, that's probably what you're yeah. Oh, I like uh, one of the things I like is uh, every now and again on Twitter there'll be a something someone will get in touch and say I read the headline and then knew that you were you'd be the person who ri- had written it. Yes. And that's a really nice feeling. <laughs> I've got that niche down so well. Yes, I sometimes see if there's an article about something on TV and I've ho- I hope that you've written it because I want I want to read something slightly um slightly sort of silly and maybe slightly scathing about something that's yeah you know when tv mm. producers put out shows like you said celebrity homeless whatever it's called like yeah. when they put out this kind of stuff that you're like for god's sake I, I i i want someone to send it up well that's getting quite hard to do though because like when i stopped when i started back in <laughs> 11 years ago or whatever it was Netflix wasn't super popular. The, edit, the TV editor at the time uh, thought if we weren't writing about something that was on BBC One, BBC Two, ITV or Channel Four, it was just a waste of an article. And now 
it's completely the opposite and you're like if i there are so many different platforms and i get i get the feeling that you're not the shows that people coalesce around it are harder to come across and it's harder to do the sort of send something up unless there's a huge base of knowledge about it so x factor is perfect because at its peak i think 17 million people watched it and they knew all the tropes and stuff but if i like i don't know where this is coming to my head but the netflix show floor is lava oh yeah um I, I don't know how popular it was, but I wrote a thing about that. And then people are like, oh, there's a show called Flores Lava. And so you have to kind of, you have to sell this show before you can start see, taking the yeah. mickey of it. Which is, yeah, it's a, it's a sea change a little bit. Yeah, it has to be something that everyone's talking about. Yeah. Like Love Island, X Factor, that kind yeah. of stuff. Although X Factor, I, mean, I was going to say my condolences because I just found out it's it's no I'm more so as of this happy. week. I'm oh, yeah? so happy. <laughs> Just because it's it's like it's the one thing I had to go to the paper and be like I can't do this anymore. How long did you blog about X Factor for? I think in a it, newspaper. I think it was six years. That's a long time. Yeah, and it was such a demand because it was um, it was on a Saturday and Sunday, and the the shows almost they were like longer than the film The Dark Knight. I remember, yeah. And, and so you have to do it, and then you have to prepare for it, and you have to write it. I also, amount of words you write, it was, like, I think it was almost like 6,000 a weekend I was doing, and I was getting paid uh, initially £100 for it. Wow. And I, I had to go to the editor and be like, this is a breakdown of the <laughs> amount of... A, every fraction of a penny that you're paying me. Oh, God. Yeah. Is that on a live blog then? Yeah, yeah, on a live blog. 6,000 words. 6,000 words, yeah. And I was like, yeah, 0.000. And zero a point whole zero day of zero the weekend zero. gone. Yeah. Yeah, I wow. didn't see anyone for, for five years. Um, that was like in my mid-30s as well. That's when I should have been like... <laughs> it's fine now because I'm 40 and no one cares if I'm out or not. But... <laughs> That was the period of time where, like, people expected to see me at the weekend. So what does a normal writing day look like now for you? Um, I'm quite... Now I've got children, it has to be quite rigid. So, um... Uh... I start at six... And then um, if it's a school day, I do the school run. Um, and then I work when they're at school. And then I pick them up at three. And then that's my day. It finishes at three. So it's um, not that many hours to write. No, it's not. That. It's really, and the summer holidays as well now, it's really <gasps> crammed in. My wife's a writer as well. So um, we just divide the day at midday. So one of us will work in the morning and look after the children. And then at midday, we swap shifts, basically. And then one of us writes in the afternoon. Does it work? Yeah. Yeah, it does. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm quite quick. That's one of the things I'm proudest of as, as a writer is I can write quickly. Um, 
so I can if I know I've got stuff to do, I can do it. And every now and again, I'll sort of tip into the evenings, but I'm trying very hard not to do that. It's just with writing. That's the thing that I'm so curious about in terms of having children and, you know, with writing, you kind of have to be in the mood to yeah. or the right frame of mind to yeah. write what you need to write. And maybe that's being in a good mood to write something humorous or being sort of like in a, I don't know, and the idea to kind of split your day up into the working hours, I think for some writers is, is tricky because they, maybe they find they can write better at one yeah. in the morning or yeah. first thing in the morning. And that's hard. So you've had to sort of like train yourself around. Yeah. And it's, and it, it I mean, it can be done. It's not, there are some days when it just, I'm exhausted and it's difficult. Yeah. And you really feel like you're just pulling, digging words out of the ground. <laughs> When it's great, it feels like someone else is saying it to you and you're just typing it down and you, everything comes sort of fully formed. But there are days when you just you feel like just feel like you're just chipping away at nothing and yeah. nothing's coming. I was actually gonna mention how like the write your writing speed. Mm. But you already did, but that's your writing feels like you're just kind of it's almost like you're just talking and mm. and the words are being typed at the same pace as that you're you're speaking. Yeah. Is that that's I'm trying not... to work out how backhanded a compliment that is. No, that, that's... I, I... There's, there's no process to your... No, but that's that's what I'm curious about, is because I think a lot of... I am an editor, so I receive mm. pieces, and I sometimes am frustrated when I get sent a piece where someone's putting on a writing voice. Oh, yeah, yeah, they, yeah, yeah. Because they start using words that they would you would never use in a in a sentence if you were talking to someone yeah. and it becomes a little bit lofty or it's just there's no there's no tone of voice because they're trying to eliminate their personality mm. rather than put it through yeah. rather than show it off but is was there ever a time where you wrote in a different way or is this always the way that you've just felt comfortable doing it this have you is... ever tried to write in a in a more academic way or... <sighs> I mean I've tried and I, I can't <laughs> Um, I wrote something for Vanity Fair, and I was really excited. Wow, it's big. Fair. Yeah, and um, my wife was just terrified. She was like, "You're going to start writing like Vanity," and there's like Vanity Fair, is some of the best journalism in the world. Totally, but it's not necessarily suited. Like if I couldn't just wade in and just be like, "Well, so <laughs> which is basically what everything I write is. <laughs> And I think she was really afraid that it would change. And so there is always a balance between uh, how I would write if I just had completely free reign and the publication that I'm writing for. I write for the Times sometimes. And weirdly, there's a big difference. It's a bit like this with The Guardian, actually. Uh, T2, Times 2, and G2, the supplements in yeah. the middle. You can be really informal and chatty. Mm. But if it's for the newspaper, for the main bit, all of a sudden uh, it's like they there's a completely different imagined readership for it. And they're yeah. like, well, the, the, the people who read uh, the main paper aren't going to understand that. And I'm like, but it's the same. You, like... <laughs> Presuming people even like read the newspapers anymore, which they don't, it's all online. But they just, it's just a case of them going, 
turning a page and there's just another piece of paper there. Yeah, so like the With Guardian the... Guide feels like the sort of naughty, naughty little brother of the mm. paper where there's, I remember reading it as a teenager and oh, feeling, the you know, because there were, there were swear words in it yeah. and it was really funny. But yeah, it's funny how that has to be sort of contained in a very small, wacky looking publication mm. alongside the more serious paper. Yeah, very actually, I, f I feel like that's changed a bit lately because... Um, and this is just completely going to undermine everything I just said. Because it's uh, people read it online. If they read something that I've written for the guide online, and you can be a bit more sort of cheeky and, and rude and sweary, uh, and they people just click on a headline on the website, and they don't know it's from the guide as opposed to like G2 oh, or Weekend, the the tone of voice is just completely lost. They lose, they lose the... Um, the voice of the of the supplement yes which is it's really weird and uh yeah yeah because when you're reading something like the guide all the all the different writers commissioned in it have, have all got that sort of they've got like a kind of cheeky hat on yeah but if you isolate those articles it just seems a bit odd <laughs> yeah, it just it's like, <laughs> like they, were, they were drunk or something yeah one of the first pieces i wrote for the guide was um awful I mean, it was one of my favourite things I've done, but they, it was when Chat Roulette just started. Oh, yeah. And uh, the editor made me wear a mask of Gordon Brown, a mask of David Cameron and a mask of Nick Clegg. And just go on Chat Roulette, see what happens. And what happened was everybody masturbated at me, obviously, because it was Chat Roulette. Oh um, and I really struggled to think how that would look now if that was just on a website. A picture of, I had a black and white print. I couldn't find my colour printer. I couldn't make it work. So it was just a black and white, like, ghoulish Gordon Brown mask. And, like, a Spanish man laying down, masturbating at it. It was like... <laughs> but then I suppose... That's my legacy. There we are. Sometimes when you've written for print publications... And then suddenly the company that you don't work for anymore decides mm. to put it all on the internet. Yeah. You don't know about that. And suddenly, you know, you wake up and you've got tweets about something. You're like, what's this? And, it, and it's something that, yeah, that was never actually meant for the internet. Yeah. Because it, also things that were written, you know, in maybe like 15 years ago. And that's, that's the sort of the nature of being a writer for a long time, a freelance writer, is that you can't really control where your articles are. Yeah. And especially with you, you've got thousands of them. Mm. Your internet footprint is so sprawling, but you you haven't got any control over that. Yeah. Does that keep you up at night or is that No, fine? it doesn't keep me up at okay. night. But you're right, though. There's there's no context. It's just the no. internet. Yeah. And you just read something, you read a link that someone puts on Twitter and you, you, you've lost the context of the publication and, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I also saw, I was just looking through some of just all the articles on The Guardian, the recent mm. ones, because there's too many to go too far back. But they've all got rough, even the aubergine recipe listicle, mm. which is very good, by the way. Um, Thank you. <laughs> has got roughly 300 comments. Yeah. And all of your pieces tend to have around that amount of comments. Mm. Some nice comments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> some not. Is that's that's so much for any writer to handle? Is is yeah? That, I I'm guessing you're used to it. But yeah, how have you yeah. built up a resilience to, I, to that? 
I, for the most part, I ignore it. Um, I don't look very recent. I can't remember what it was. There was a piece I wrote maybe a couple of weeks ago, and it's the first time I looked at the comments. And I just expect the worst now because there was you, like you have to develop a very thick skin, especially when there are comment sections where people are like encouraged <laughs> to be mean to you, kind of. Um, and there was actually quite nice because people were saying nice things about the writing. And oh. that's I kind of. I think my way of coping is to just assume, just pretend that no one can read it. I'm just writing it and then it goes out and then I can get on with my day and like chase my kids around. And and there's no real world repercussions. Um, I did. <laughs> oh, God. I stopped uh, searching for my name on Twitter ages and ages and ages ago because... Um, because uh, it was just like it's, people were just being mean and it hurt my feelings basically and then a, a few weeks ago I got <laughs> I got brave enough to <laughs> search my name Why? And, and someone <laughs> the top one <laughs> said shitwood hairy cunt <laughs> and that was it And I was like, all right, that's probably, I don't have to do this for a little while again. It feels like eh, when when you write something that sort of takes off, it feels like you're the centre of the world for better or for worse. And you're not. Like, I bumped into my uncle this morning. He was delivering me a tumble dryer by chance. Um, <laughs> and like he was like, oh, so what do you do now? And I was like, yeah, still right. And he's like, oh, what sort of things you write? And he's got no idea. And that's like... <laughs> 95.95.5 percent of everyone in the world doesn't care about like what happens on the internet so it's it's fine yeah so true yeah difficult to difficult to ignore but good to train yourself to do it but also as a as a when you're writing it's often quite nice isn't it to kind of like if I'm if I can't write something, I, mm. I I I write it to an old editor I had as an email, but I don't send it. Oh, that's interesting. But I like the way I can write to them. Yeah. So it comes out a bit yeah. easier. So you've got a kind of like sometimes like a kind of like a bit of a, like a fictional audience in your mind, and yeah. that's how you write. But if your audience, you know, if 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 your career was in the sort of in the noughties. It's a very different audience to how it is now. So I suppose it's like, do you change your tone of voice over time yeah. to accommodate a new yeah. audience? Or do you just stick to your guns and say, no, this is who I am. This is what I'm writing. Mm. And if you don't like it, don't read it kind of thing. I kind of, there was definitely a period of time where I did find myself like going through all the comments and be like, well, they don't like that, so I won't do that anymore. And exactly, then they don't yeah. like that, so I won't do that anymore. And I was just writing just nothing. Just I was just filling up the internet with. So you, you're hired because of who you are and the things you write, and that's so that's what people want, and so, well, that's what you know the people who pay you want. So that's you have to kind of stay true to yourself, otherwise. What anyone could do it. Well, otherwise the internet becomes just a bunch of sort of edited press releases. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What do you think 
uh, editorial platforms or newspapers are getting wrong when they're thinking about the future of publishing and and writers and young writers coming into the industry and what what should they be doing to ensure that it it stays great and it stays fresh and exciting and mm. not just sort of press releasey really um that's a really good question <laughs> so it's quite a big question no yeah it? it is and it's it's blindsided me a bit. i think i don't know i think I don't know. I don't know if the opportunities are there because everyone everywhere is cutting their budget. Yeah. And it's it's like and I'd follow some brilliant young writers on on Twitter and they the struggles that they have getting well first getting published and then building any sort of audience because they're kind of they're writing for very very small niche websites whereas I kind of got lucky and I could go somewhere that was quite mainstream like a newspaper yeah and i don't i don't think a lot of young writers ever feel any sort of stable ground under their feet they just mm. you have to be sort of willing to hop from publication to publication um last question because mm -hmm. i think we're going to run out of time um you talked earlier about legacy and you've yeah, as we discussed, you've got this sort of wild back catalogue of things, your mm. book, your children's book, obviously now your upcoming children's book, all of your writing, TV blogging. What's been the time of your career that you look back on as being like, you know, people sort of look back and there's a the time you're like, oh, that was a really good bit. That that chunk of time was a really, mm. I, was doing, I was doing what I wanted well and you're really enjoying the process of it. Is there one yeah. part that sticks out to you that you were like, that was great? I hate that this is the first thing that came into my mind, but it was the X Factor Live blog. <laughs> I hate it. I hate it. But it was like, it was really well read. And because I never went out, uh, I didn't sort of know what was going on. But my friends, my housemates, went out to a bar and they overheard some uh people talking about the live blog and one of them said um oh I li we live with him and uh, they all end up getting off with each other and that's <laughs> by far the most famous i've ever felt by far instant make out yeah as a group <laughs> <laughs> i've never been used i've never been used as a chat up line before so that was that was really exciting that's like i think like that, yeah, that's my favourite thing ever. I'm Liv Siddle and you've been listening to Thought Starters. You can join our growing community by following at White City Place on socials. Hit the links in our show notes to find out more about the other incredible guests at White City Place.